The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, predictive. It's a loaded word. Let's get started. Your finance organization's charter has broadened. It's bigger than it was before. The core functional deliverables, you know what they are, now encompass services to most of the other functions across your company. That's a lot. But that means comes responsibility because there's no excuse for finance to back away from using modern technology. They can't be shy. They can't sit there like in the old days and say, we don't want to know it. They need it. And here's a reality check. Predictive analytics is no longer, and I'm putting quotes around the next phrase, the PhD thing only for specialized SaaS programmers to work on in the basement in the cover of darkness. Here's a little research information. CFO.com research, loudhouse research. Research and various analysts see predictive and prescriptive analytics as one of the top drivers of mature finance organizations, and we'll find out a little bit later why. So predictive is now a must for your controller, for your accountant, for your treasurer in the modern age. And why do they need it? Because hopefully they want to meet and outperform the goals of your CFO. That's their job, right? I have a panel of four. We have a packed house today. We're going to get started hearing their inspirational quotes, and we're going to find out why predictive is so important to your finance organization. First up, a newcomer to the show is Anders Reinhardt. He is head of global business intelligence for Velux. We'll find out a little more about the company later. And Anders quotes Grady Booth. Here's the quote. A fool with a tool is still a fool. Anders Reinhardt calling from Denmark. How are you today, Anders? Just fine. Just fine, Bunny. Thank you for joining me. So tell me about this Grady Booth quote and then relate it to our topic, please. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think it's a super quote because uh, what we've seen the last year in, in our company is a massive leap forward in relation to technology supporting reporting and analytics in general. We have tools for prediction. We have tools for visualization. We have self-service BI across our organization. Yet when I ask my team members, uh, what is it that business is actually requesting, it seems to be the same old boring tabular reports they request still, despite of all the tools. And and it also seems to be what we're delivering to them instead of trying to inspire them to do something more or better with uh, all the tools we have available. And when I talk to our board of directors, they ask me, do we get any value out of all these reports that we create every single day? And to be honest, I think the answer is no, we don't get the value that we really could get out of all of this. And, and one of the reasons is perhaps that we have 
a tool and technology vision uh, for what we want to do, uh, a business intelligence vision. But we have much less of an analytical vision that is tied up against our business strategies. And we are lacking perhaps the right skills in the business to really use these tools. And that's that's why I picked the quote, uh, a fool with a tool is, is still a fool. And we can't really move until we have a real analytical strategy. Anders, great opening to our topic. Question for you, just a little preview of what you may be speaking about later in the roundtable. Whose responsibility is it to educate these fools? And I put quotes again around that term. Do you want to get people out of university who have those skills? Do you need to retool your fools who are already working in the department? Do you need on-site education? Quickly, what would your approach at VLUX be to educating the fools? I, th- I think it's a combination. I think it first of all it starts with uh, defining your analytical strategy up against what is it we want to use data for in our line of business, and I think that's actually missing in a lot of departments. I think uh, second to that, uh, there are multiple options. We've tried uh, analytics as a service, buying the service from somebody else, which is very interesting, and I think it will be a huge business area going forward. But we've also set up courses, intern courses for doing better visualization of reports and so on. So there are mm-hmm. definitely multiple options. Good. Good to know. I like optimism a lot. Thank you, Anders. And let's turn to Nancy Jones, our second panelist. Nancy teaches graduate courses in accounting information systems at San Diego State University. And she sent me an interesting quote from a 19th century preacher named Charles Spurgeon. Here's the quote. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise, but to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. I like the way he tied it all up in a neat little bow there. Nancy Jones, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Delighted. So talk to me, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, You're digging back in time for this quote. Tell us how that relates to our topic. I think it actually segues into what Anders said about the idea of a fool with a tool. In this particular case, um, Spurgeon went on to say that actually the biggest fools are the men with the, the men with the most knowledge, but they don't necessarily know how to use it. And I think that's very pertinent in today's world where we have a plethora of uh, data. We have big data everywhere. I mean, everybody talks about data. Where do we get the data? We get it from social networking. We get it from all sorts of locations. We have data warehouses. We have transactional data. We have data, data, data everywhere. Well, and I think the problem is that the people think that the more data they have, the more they can make good decisions, when in fact it's not necessarily quantity. It mm-hmm. is more so quality. And so I, I think that Spurgeon's quote definitely talks about the fact that just because you have the data, it doesn't mean you know what, what to use it for and how you can use it to your best advantage. Nancy, I think this relates back to what Andrews was saying a moment ago about the plethora of reports at VLUX and what are they getting out of them. Would you Could you relate back to that? you agree? I absolutely agree with that. You've got all these stacks of reports. When I was a corporate controller, I used to produce these reports, and they were paper reports at that point in time. You'd have this huge stack of green bar paper, and you would deliver to all these um, um, individuals who had responsibilities for the organization. And and the next month, I would walk around with all of these reports again, and the old ones are still sitting on the floor. And pretty soon, you got a whole stack of reports, and nobody knew what to do with them. Nobody knew if they were going to help them. And um, the, the my job was to create reports. Well, shoot, <laughs> what's a report <laughs> if it doesn't help you, right? 
So, yep. yeah, I totally, totally believe with what Andrew said was is correct. Thank you. And today we have paper recycling programs and we have special bins for paper. And that's maybe what we should have been doing with those reports all along. I rest my case. Third up on the panel is a repeat guest from just a couple of weeks ago. It's Rob Kugel. He heads up the CFO and business research at Ventana Research. And we have a quote from the sports world from Yogi Berra. And I, I love this comment from Rob. He says, Yogi Berra not only is a Hall of Fame catcher for the New York Yankees, go Yankees, but one of the greatest philosophers of the 20th century. Woohoo! Here's the quote. You've got to be very careful if you don't know where you're going because you might not get there. Rob Kugel, welcome back. How are you today? I'm doing well, Bonnie. How are you? Fine, fine. Thanks for joining me. So talk to me, Yogi Berra. Let's talk about Yogi. Well, the reason why I chose a quote from Yogi Berra is that, as usual for Yogi, hidden behind the mangled logic and syntax are some very profound and uh, insightful thoughts. Um, we're, we're focusing on predictive analytics today. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of, of, of the technique, I'd like to frame predictive analytics in a broader context, which is how it can be useful in a performance management context. The idea that, that companies can improve their performance through the application of rational techniques and objective measurement uh, began early in the 20th century, but we really didn't have the information technology systems in place until about 20 years ago to begin to deliver seriously uh, on the concept, and, and even then it was, it was pretty primitive. Over the past two decades, companies have made major investments in systems that automate and instrument just about every process and activity in a company. And so one of the reasons, one of the results of, of that investment is that we're now talking about big data. So, you know, in addition to all the social media and stuff, you know, we're, we're just piling up business data at a furious pace. Predictive analytics is a valuable tool that you can use in harnessing that big data. As as the name suggests, predictive analytics enables organizations to create more nuanced and more accurate forecasts, or in in Yogi's terms, it can help you understand where you're going. And in that sense, it improves our ability to set realistic goals and measure performance to those goals. But predictive analytics has an even more powerful capability that's often overlooked. You can use predictive analytics to spot deviations from expected and forecast results far, far earlier than using conventional techniques. So, you know, if you're operating a fast food restaurant, um, you know, predictive analytics can tell you by 11 a.m. if you need to add people to the, uh, to the dinner mm-hmm. shift. Um, if you're a media company, it can tell you by the sixth of the month if you're going to fall short of new subscriber growth that month and, and actually which promotion is likely to work best to address that potential shortfall. You know, there are thousands and thousands of examples like this uh, that apply in any industry. So it can help you with the not getting there part of the problem, too. Um, and and as, as was alluded to early on, you know, this was once, you know, the realm of PhDs. This was once, you know, mm-hmm. something that only large corporations could afford to do, uh, but no more, and that's why we're talking about it today. Thank you very much, Rob. Always words of wisdom from you. Appreciate it. And let's bring on our fourth panelist. Another return guest is Tenor Schliebs. He's Senior Director in Strategic Product Marketing at SAP Analytics. And we're going into the world of science now. The quote is from Niels Bohr, the Danish physicist and 1922 Nobel Prize winner in physics. And here's the quote. Prediction is very difficult, especially about the future. I always want to laugh when I read that one, Henner. Welcome back, Henner. How are you today? Thanks, Bonnie. I'm doing great. How about you? Very well, thank you. Talk to me. Love the quote. And God, goodness, we're talking about predictive, and we're trying to predict the future. And Niels Bohr was saying back decades ago, not so easy. So where have we come? How far have we come, Henner? 
I always honor my Danish friends. Uh, I have family in Denmark as well, in addition to uh, Anders as a strong business partner here. Um, but the quote is relatively old, right? And I think this represents a little bit the thinking about predictions and predictive analysis that is current in the market, and I want to change that. Because uh, a teacher of mine told me once, Henner, you don't have to know everything. You just have to know where to find that information, right? And we have all information at hand, especially in the finance departments uh, with uh, so-called big data. We just need to find some automated ways to make use of this data and uh, have the systems tell you where to find this data and uh, how to make use of this data. And this is Henner, why I think this old I- I love it. And I, I've also been told that smart people know how to ask the right questions of the right people. Does that go along with what you just shared with us? Absolutely, because analytics is all about asking the right questions. There you go. Thank you very much. And guess what? I have a question that I think is the right one. And it's what's in your cup today or what do you wish you were drinking? Because this series, Financial Excellence with Game Changers, comes under the umbrella of our flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. So let's circle back. Anders, it's after 6 p.m. in Denmark, a little birdie told me before the show. So what are you drinking? Come on, give us a good story here. Yeah, I'm actually drinking something from the U.S. So uh, I'm drinking a Faye Hillside Cabernet from uh, Stacksleep Wine Cellars in Napa Valley. And I went there last year, and it's actually uh, an interesting story because uh, our fantastic driver uh, dropped, it all, dropped us off at the wrong winery. Uh, and then he left us there. And by the time we realized we were being dropped off at the completely wrong place, uh, he had, of course, left, and, and we were standing there in the parking lot. And this is interesting because we were three men, and normally there should be no reason to panic, but we were starting to panic and trying to call the driver. And then I pointed out that right behind us is a huge winery. They have thousands of unopened bottles. And I'm sure, like any other American establishment, they are willing to service uh, us Europeans in, in a matter of no time. So we went in and we had a really, really fantastic wine tasting. And it, it turned out to be a really amazing winery. And I was allowed to buy one bottle of wine because normally you have to be a member to buy any of the bottles. And ah. I brought it back to Denmark and I had it the other day with one of my best friends and it was even better than I remembered it. So it just shows, go with the flow. If something goes wrong, it will most likely turn out to be a really interesting experience. What a lovely story. And when you were telling it, I was thinking, so how bad could a winery be? They've got bottles. Exactly. You want to taste something. You know, how could you have the wrong winery? And maybe there's a, a Yiddish word, beshert. Maybe it was beshert that you ended up at that winery tasting exactly. that wine. Wonderful. Thank you, Anders. I love the story. Nancy Jones, no pressure to top that one. But what are you drinking today, Nancy? Well, I'm not going to be able to beat that story, but I can can tell you, first of all, it's not evening yet, although today I might want a glass of wine, but um, Mm -hmm. I am drinking black English tea, and my story is that I always like tea in the morning, and I order tea, and we were at a bed and breakfast, my husband and I, and I ordered um, English breakfast tea from the proprietress who was from England. And it came in a nice, beautiful porcelain pot. And, of course, being kind of an American tradition for me and being in a hurry, I immediately poured the tea out of the teapot into my cup. And, of course, it wasn't quite brewed yet. So the very next morning, the proprietor um, handed me the teapot. And she said to me, she said, now you know you need to wait at least eight minutes. 
So I was informed that that is the proper way to brew tea in England, and it must be in a porcelain pot. And so from then on now, I brew tea, in a, put it in a porcelain pot, and let it set for at least eight minutes before I will drink it. This is lovely. It, Nancy, early back in the days of, of starting the Coffee Break Show, which is, I think, almost three years ago, I can't even remember that far back, uh, we had a British guest on one of the panels, and he gave us an entire instruction, point by point, of the thickness of the china and the temperature of the water and the number of minutes to let the tea <laughs> steep and what the, the tea ball looked like. And it, it was a riot. And here you are with eight minutes. I like your version better. Thank you very much. You did give us a good story. Thank you. Rob Kugel, you're a pro at this. What are you drinking? Well, it's uh, 9 a.m. sort of in, in California, so I'm having a, a doppio espresso so that I can be as uh, as perky as possible. Um, just pointing out it's the 130th anniversary of uh, the filing of Angelo Mariando's patent that was the precursor to the espresso machine. But, but let me iterate. Andrews, was the problem that you were at the apostrophe S Stag's Leap and you wanted to go to the S apostrophe Stag's Leap because they're actually two different uh, wineries? I know, and that was the, actually the problem, but we ended up at the one with the Cask 23, which I think is one of the top, top wineries. So the problem was that all the other wineries we were supposed to visit afterwards, they kind of faded a little bit compared to some of the wines we had at the first one. But you're right, it was exactly the problem that there are two that are in war with each other about the name, and they are very similar. So, Well, that lawsuit, which went on for about a decade, has been settled. Anyway. Oh, yeah. I'm glad. And you know what, Rob? The, the the conversation with Anders about the wrong winery is exactly what Yogi Berra was saying. You've got to be careful if you don't know where you're going. You might not get there. <laughs> it's ex- exactly. Right? Radio imitates art, imitates life. And there's Yogi Berra when you least expect him. Words of wisdom. Henner. I'm not even going to ask you to top these three stories. What are you drinking? Give me something. Give me something. Actually, I'm having a red wine here as well. Not drinking it, but it's uh, uh, leftover from yesterday. I had to work long hours. It's a uh, uh, 2006 Cap Mini Wines Schlieps block from the beautiful Barossa Valley in Australia. So growing up, I thought us Schliepses are only residing within Germany and Denmark. But uh, social media helped me find some relatives um, that early migrated to Australia, and that's why I appreciate this wine, tasting like uh, dark chocolate and uh, coffee. So actually I'm drinking a triple espresso here to stay awake. Uh, The topic is pretty popular, and I'm working like a dog these days. Oh, I, I need uh, I need to know exactly what you're drinking. Would you email it to me after the show, please? Because anything I'll... with dark chocolate and coffee, uh, that's my drink. So thank you. <laughs> you made me very happy. I want to thank our panelists for wonderful stories. We're going to take a break so you can all take that pause that refreshes. I'm talking today with Anders Reinhardt at Velux, Nancy Jones at San Diego State University, Rob Kugel at Ventana Research, and Henner Schliebs at SAP Analytics. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And a quick shout-out to Mike Montalban, who has transferred his tweet skills over from the HR Trends series here to us on Financial Excellence. So panelists, almost everything you say will be tweeted live by Mike at hashtag SAP Radio, and we invite you and our listeners to tweet during the show. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. This is Season 3 of Financial Excellence, Episode Number 3, if you're keeping track. It's Tuesday, July 29th. Where is the year going? And our topic today is Predictive Analytics and Finance Role Play. I like that one. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app. That dial will be right back. Brad out.
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now. According to IDC, by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Welcome back. I'm speaking today with Nancy Jones, Rob Kugel, Henry Schliebs, and Anders. Reinhard Anders is calling back in on another line, so we're going to expect him in just a minute. Our topic today is the role of predictive analytics in finance. I call that role play. We're going to kick off the roundtable about 25 minutes nonstop with Nancy Jones. Nancy, I love this talking point you sent me. It goes right to the heart of the matter here, and it's no longer are we the green-visored, pocket-protectored, calculator carrying record keepers of the past now we in finance are advisors and planners partners in the management of our businesses large and small why don't you kick us off with a conversation there and then anders i see is back and anders will join in when we're ready so nancy go ahead get us started please okay so when i was i was looking at these talking points one of the things that i recognize is the fact that the world has changed, but the roles of accountants sometimes have not changed. We've been really slow to change, and we uh, tend to think of ourselves as those record keepers. You know, sure, we don't have the pencils and the paper and those ledger sheets anymore, but we behave as if we do. And we forget that really we should be the advisors to our organizations, whether we be in public accounting or we be in industry or wherever we're working as accountants. Our role is not to push the numbers into the system. The system does that for us. We're not the ones that have to do the data entry necessarily anymore. We're, our, our jobs are bigger than that, and our jobs are more important than that. And we should be very excited about the fact that we aren't the people who are putting numbers into systems, and we're not the people who are simply creating financial statements. We're actually being able to be these advisors that tell people what they mean. And what that requires is that we have the skills to use the battery analytical tools that are available out there for us. Um, it, we have a tendency, I think, to just skip over that basic math and statistics class that we took 
in college and we forget all about it and now we can use it. Now we have these capabilities. It's a very exciting time um, and I'm very excited about it and I think one of the things I, I, I like to bring up is the fact that that the role is not only changing in industry, but it needs to also change at the university level. Universities have to be in line with what's going on in the real world. And this is an exciting time to be an accountant because everything is changing. We have an opportunity here to really create value in our organizations. And the way that we're going to do that is by taking a hold, as I talked about earlier, the big data. Yeah, there's a lot of data out there. Some of it's going to be good. And some of it we can use, but we need to know what to do with it. What can we do for our organization to provide that value? And one of the ways we can do this is understanding how to use analytical tools. Thank you very much. Anders, you're back. Thanks for calling back in. I think we have a better line for you now. Anders, you want to chime in on what Nancy just started in terms of who finance used to be? Talk to me. Yeah, I'm, I totally agree with what Nancy was saying. I mean, we, we've been through a large restructuring where we created an international finance manager organization. And that was, it's been a tremendously interesting journey, seeing, bringing people together, how different actually finance is being carried out in each of the different subsidiaries we have, where some are trusted advisors, others are not at all. They're not even being invited into the management room and, 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 discussing how can we actually force ourselves to become better advisors to management. It's, it's, I think it can really accelerate this kind of journey if you start thinking global and, and start sharing how we're doing this in Germany versus how we're doing it in Denmark and maybe how we're doing it in the U.S. Because there's also cultural differences and so on, and we mm-hmm. tend to get bogged in to the way we've always been doing things. Uh, so it's also a question about showing local management that things can actually be done differently and please call this managing director because he actually has a super cooperation with finance. Maybe we can learn something from that. I think that has been for us a really accelerator of this process of becoming much more of a business partner. Thank you, Anders. Good insights. Rob Kugel, I know you want to say something on this. Please go ahead. Well, let me just uh, echo something that that Nancy was saying about uh, there's got to be better education uh, because uh, I think the, the degree of sophistication that exists uh, not just in, in, in accounting courses, but also in, in, in MBA programs, um, is, uh, is, isn't sufficient for today's business needs. Um, we haven't seen the kind of, of, of education in the new techniques, what's possible, uh, to have people come into business with a better sense of, of, of what you can do and, and be a force for change within companies because they're aware of, of, of what's possible. Thank you, Rob. Henner, thoughts on this before we move on? Yeah, I, I think these days it's an either-or, right? Either you're the finance guy and are wearing the green uh, visors, or you're the analytics guy wearing the, the gray coat and go into your basement, right? But the combination of both is what, what is needed or what would be needed in these days' uh, finance organizations. Okay, thank you very much. And by the way, uh, Anders, I'm looking up Grady Booth, and I see a software engineer named Grady Booch, B-O-O-C-H, instead of T-H, American software hmm. engineer. Was he the one who developed the unified modeling language with Ivar Jacobson? Do I have the right yeah, one? He, he, it's, an, uh, it's a guy from IBM, uh, yeah. 
Okay, maybe he's the one. Good, good, good. Okay, mm-hmm. Anders, let's start a, a new conversation thread here. I'm looking at some of your talking points. Uh, let's get right to the heart of the matter. You say predictive analytics is difficult to understand. For the uninitiated, the topic of predictive modeling is often less relevant than the results. So how do we make sure everybody's speaking the same language as the rest of the business? Take us into this, and let's dive headfirst into predictive. What is it, and what's the value? Talk to me, Anders. I think, uh, like some of the other participants stated, there's tremendous uh, value to be had in this, but we have not been very good at deploying uh, predictive analytics. But I think where we really fail is explaining it to somebody else. I mean, we recently went beyond budgeting at our company and just moving from a scenario where you don't have a budget and looking at how we were used to presenting our finance data towards a scenario where we now do rolling forecasting, we look at trends, which are, in fact, small predictions, and and a lot more visual components into our reporting. That has been an interesting journey, and this is about conveying your results to someone. And, And we learned that we needed to speak in a different language. The tabular profit and loss is not something somebody from sales is very equipped at reading. And in fact, as as I know that one of the other participants has noted, the tables are not good at all. Most people can't really read a table, yet this is how for years in finance we've been presenting everything instead of maybe using more graphical components, more trend-based components and so on. I think that journey for us has been extremely important and we can just see when we transform the whole reporting within finance that we got a huge uptake on this from departments who really didn't care about what we were bringing to the table before. So I think it, mm. it is not just about skills of in relation to analytics. It is as much about visualization skills and presentation skills as well. And, and Anders, when you said the team, people on the team didn't care about it before, is this a culture thing as well, getting people to really embrace why you're doing all this in the first place? Yeah, I think so. And it's, it's also a matter of making it very clear what is our performance model and who's responsible for the bottom line and, and presenting it in a way so they feel responsible for maybe something more than just the unit sales, but realize there's also a cost side. And in the end, it has a bottom line impact. And how can we visualize that so you actually feel responsible for the whole chain? That is, that is a, an interesting topic as well. Very, very interesting. Rob Kugel at Ventana. Any thoughts on this? What do you observe? Well, um, let me just echo something uh, Anders brought up earlier, and I, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that there's a certain, uh, you know, accounting and finance would do uh, a very good job if they um, uh, sort of adopted a an Apple uh, computer approach to um, uh, communicating with the with the rest of the organization in terms of the kind of data that they get. And, and Apple did. Nobody knew they needed an iPod until the iPod came out there. So, um, you know, if, if you put yourself, you know, the, the, the end users don't necessarily know what they need. Um, but if you put yourself in their shoes and you try to think about, you know, how can you best deliver something that's going to, you know, sing to them, will we'll really communicate with them, you're probably going to wind up with a result that, uh, that everybody's very happy to have, even though they didn't know they had to have it. <laughs> isn't isn't life like that? Yes, we did, we didn't know how much we needed it till somebody put it in front of us and said, "Here, try it," even with a big price tag. Uh, Henner, thoughts? 
Absolutely, yeah. As Anders said, everything is P&L these days, right? But if you, if you give somebody the P&L, uh, they could not read it unless they are having a financial background somehow. So it's, it's things like, uh, what is your contribution to total? I'm stealing this from my uh, very, uh, very nice friend um, out of our retail business. Contribution to total is more or less what, what everyone is needing. And people cannot read tables. Uh, people are, are, are visual. They need this visualization of the, the matter that's going on right now. And that's the reason why the combination is so important right now. Thank you very much. Nancy, thoughts on this one? I just want to continue the conversation about visualizations. There are actually mm-hmm. studies that have been done that talk about the fact that the human brain recognizes patterns before it would recognize a list of numbers, for instance. And I have a story that I tell my students because they need to understand why we're spending time in an accounting class in this particular case talking about how to create a chart and what visualizations are best for producing the uh, appropriate results. And when I was newly graduated from my, with my bachelor's degree, I had started a company, it was a manufacturing company, and it was closely held, and we were one big happy group, and I would throw up these wonderful reports, all of these charts and tables, and I'm sitting there all excited about it, and not a single one of the managers got anything I was talking about. Why? Because mm. I had an Excel spreadsheet up on a PowerPoint. Okay? Right. If I had, in fact, put that up as a pie chart or as a trend analysis or I had done a diff- uh, additional analytics on it and maybe put up a heat map or other visualizations, they would have got it. They would have totally got it. And that was one of the things that sat with me for a long time. My evaluation came back and they said, one of the, the sales managers said to me, you're a really smart person, but I don't understand the thing you're saying. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Is that a compliment, Nancy? Is that what we really I, want? <laughs> I had to take it as a compliment because otherwise I would have been devastated. So. There you go. We don't want that. We certainly don't want that. Anybody else want to talk on this thread before I go in a slightly different direction with Rob Kugel? Everybody good with, with where we've gone so far on this one? Sounds yeah. like a yes. Okay, Rob Kugel, let's talk about some numbers. I love numbers, especially on a show called Financial Excellence. Let's talk about the quality of finance analytics processes related to a company's data quality. I'll rattle off a couple of stats you sent and let's talk about it. You say almost all corporations with very accurate data also have a good process compared to, and here's the other side of the coin, just 43% of those who describe their data as accurate and only 22% said eh, somewhat accurate. Talk to us about data accuracy. Rob, what's the impact on what we're discussing today? Well, how well predictive analytics is going to work for any company is going to depend a great deal on the data quality and and its availability. Um, Most people in IT are aware of the importance of data quality. Um, What they do about it is another matter. But but people in in business uh, only see the effects of poor data quality uh, and poor data availability. And there is this ongoing, every time we, 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 we do these benchmarks, we find um, you know, this correlation between data quality, data availability, and fill in the blank. Um, so it, it's really, really important. Um, it, it, our research also uh, confirms that the issue is proportional to the size of companies. So larger corporations may have a whole lot of resources, but they also have a bigger problem of dealing with, with data quality. And, and big data only makes the data issue worse because it requires, you know, new methods and techniques to make systems adaptable uh, to inaccurate, questionable, 
data that isn't necessarily you know in sync uh, with other 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 bits of data. So the, the value of applying predictive analytics to a large data set is diminished to the extent that that data is inaccurate. Data set has other flaws. Um, and, and that's the reason why managing data and data stewardship is going to remain an important uh, issue for uh, IT departments and one that they absolutely must be addressing uh, if companies are going to realize full value from big data and predictive analytics. Thank you very much. Heather, talk to me about big data, what, what we just introduced with Rob. Thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's necessary to bring the outcome of big data to really everyone, right? It's it's not enough for the finance function as such to, so to speak, keep the lights on with uh, whatever, maintaining your regu- regulatory compliance and controls of accounting and tax standards and these kinds of things, right? We need to move more towards a business partnership role where you uh, proactively engage with, with the, the business people to, uh, to plan, to model, to analyze and predict the financial implications of, of decisions, right, strategic as well as operational decisions, right? It's not enough to tell a sales guy anymore uh, anything about whatever revenue recognition purposes in, in the accounting space. It's really, at the end of the day, what is, again, your contribution to the total? How do you support our global um, goals of uh, cost and profitability improvements and sustainable growth? And uh, this is coming out of big data, right? The data is there. You just have to channel it accordingly so that everyone's having uh, the, the contextual information at hand to make the right decision. And that's Thank big you. data. Thank- yeah, Anders, talk to me. How does big data impact what you're doing at Velux in your particular position? And what what are your thoughts on what uh, the other guests just shared, please? Yeah, well, I, I agree. It, it impacts quite a lot. And I, and I think that it's easier said than done bringing the right data to the right people because uh, dealing with big data is, is on the technological side uh, tremendously difficult. I think our problem is twofold. Uh, one, the big data inherently contains a lot of noise. And, and do we have the analytical skills to see past that noise and, and get to the real gold in the data? And, and there is far more gold, uh, far more noise than gold in the data. And I think that's one of the things we're talking a little bit with. Another thing I, I think in relation to prediction is, is our, uh, you could say, values in Velox where we always want to be really, really accurate. And, and, and prediction is not necessarily about that. And I think if you really want to predict the future down to the last decimal, you will end up spending a lot of time in the lab and, and less time on the floor with the business you're trying to help. So we actually use a quote from John Maynard Keynes in, in Velux saying, it's better to be roughly right than precisely wrong. And for years trying to create budget, we've been exactly precisely wrong every single year. Now we instead want to up the frequency of our estimates and guesses and be more roughly right or more frequent. And I think if you apply predictive analytics in a, in a pragmatic way, then you can really get a lot of benefit out of it, but not necessarily a lot of effort. Thank you. Roughly right. I like that one. Uh, Rob or Nancy or Henner, any comments on what Andrews just shared before I move to another thread with Henner? Anybody want to wrap that one up or are we good? I want to just say one thing on that, um, if I might, and that that is I think that it's important, and I'm going to look at it from an academic point of view. So this is your source for for those of you who are using uh, finance professionals, and and the idea is, Henry mentioned the the crossover between IT and finance professionals, and I think that that's huge for universities. We have to either 
have the IT people do more accounting or the accounting people do more IT in order to make this their educations make the students' education relevant for those of us who are running operations. That's a provocative statement. Anybody else want to chime in on that one? Rob, thoughts on education? Well, uh, I think what I've observed over a lifetime of, the, of looking at this stuff is, is, is that there's this intersection of people who do understand finance, they do understand IT. It's roughly 20% of the people in an accounting program, give or take. Um, what we've also just found in a recently completed benchmark is that uh, companies that have uh, folks in their finance organization who are very knowledgeable about IT uh, just perform better. Uh, they get better use out of the software. They get better use out of their analytics. Uh, they just perform better uh, with IT. So um, if you're running a finance organization, you really want to be looking for people who are at the intersection of both of those skills. Good point. Um Henner, any thoughts on that? I know you have some some opinions about education before I move on. Yeah, I mean, I've already expressed my concerns, and uh, Nancy really um, validated that. And this is exactly where we need to find uh, the the dot in the matrix, right? And uh, this is what is needed in the market. I'm going to bring up the M word, millennials, the word we love to hate and hate to love. And uh, I think even millennials are getting tired of being called millennials. I know at SAP there's a really do we have to talk about that again. We love them, but really. So question is, I'm just going to toss this out before I move on to Henner. Uh, are millennials the answer to this? Are they going to be get, receiving a different type of education where they have that ability to cut through whatever has been holding back other generations in finance and visualize it, see it, grasp it, understand the role of big data. Any thoughts on that? Anders, Henner, who wants to take that quickly? Henner. I can can comment on it. Uh, Yeah, please. I I think definitely you're right. I think that they might be able to do that, but I think uh, what we really require is a close cooperation with uh, businesses today and and the universities and, and, and where we get people from business who are sitting in this every day and, and can explain what is actually needed in a role and explain that and convey that so we can streamline the, the, the programs a little bit more in the universities. I mean, it, it sometimes gets a little bit too academic, and I think if we can really nail that, and I know there are great programs in the U.S. for that, but we're not doing a whole lot of that, for instance, in Denmark. So, so it ah. turns out to be, again, I think if the approach is too academic, you will still fail because reality is your customers that surround you are very different and they are on very varying uh, analytical levels. So if you try to attack everybody uh, the same way, you will definitely fail. And and this is the big challenge when working with the BI. You never know what's going to come into in through your door. Every single day is it brings you uh, incredible, uh, weird, and interesting experiences because the level of expertise and knowledge is so different across a big organization as ours. Very good observation. Yeah. Thank you. Nancy, thoughts? Yeah, can I just jump in on that just yeah. quickly? And I think yeah. that there's a key, Hunter, that you brought up, and that is that you don't know what's going to happen from day to day. And what we tend to do in academia is we tend to teach from the theory and we don't necessarily give our students the best tools to sit down and try and figure things out. I've got something new that hit me. I've not learned how to do this, but I have learned how to do problem solving. I have learned how to use the analytical tools, and I have learned the basic concepts of the statistics or whatever modeling I'm using. And so that's what we have to do better in academia is to teach the students how to figure it out. Okay? Mm-hmm. Good. All and, good points. And- 
exactly. This is this is what uh, the younger and more um, proactive CFOs of these days are are really requesting from their finance departments. Right? It's it's the term of applied analytics. How do I apply analytics to a business problem that we're having here right now and trying to solve? Thank you. Henner, I want to introduce one more point. We're almost up against our break. We may or may not skip the last break. Let's see how this one goes. Uh, Henner told me before the show, I think this should be painted on the side of a subway. Well, that's that's New York. All right, side of a wall or a crocheted on a pillow. Complexity is the killer of efficiency. Henner says finance needs simple solutions to solve the next decade's challenges. I'm not getting into predictions yet, but it's an interesting thought to accommodate the shift to a service organization within the company. Can you elaborate a little bit on that, Henner, and then we will have everybody go around the table? Go ahead. Yeah, it's it's kind of a roller coaster trip for for finance people right now, right? They used to be the accountants that Nancy so well described in the beginning with just a, a plus and minus, and if they were really smart uh, calculating a ratio, they even divided. But uh, in the meantime, they were asked to do so many things, and it all grew so complex because they didn't only have to cover their finance systems and financial information, but also uh, touch points on on operational. Um, information that they would need to include in in their daily work. And it all really got very, very complex. So uh, I think a lot of finance people were really frustrated uh, with the situation as is and with the requirements uh, they were uh, facing. And in the meantime, we need something to make this all simple because they need to understand the holistic uh, uh, the holistic approach of problem solving within the whole organization, not only the finance organization, and they even have to carry this holistic approach out to the business. And this is exactly why we need uh, the, the simplification of processes, the simplification of uh, technology that's uh, supporting, and this is uh, why we need the world uh, uh, to run more, more simple than it is today. Rob Kugel, thoughts on simplicity versus complexity and finance becoming part of offering service to the rest of the company? Well, I think, you know, that's an excellent point. And I think one of the challenges uh, that one has uh, in, in running a finance organization and, and trying to get to this um, ideal of, of uh, you know, a, a, a different sort of finance organization that we've been talking about um, is the fact that you know people who are attracted to accounting are detailed oriented people they just you know mm-hmm. like to get their roll their shirt sleeves up and get right into it well um, what we have in uh, modern IT systems is the ability to uh, put all of those details away uh, keep them hidden uh, and to express only the conclusions uh, enabling us to drill down drill around to find the details so um, I think Changing, you know, the the you know, indoctrinating people who work in finance organizations, the importance of getting to the conclusion and not having to show all work. Um, that's what's really important. That you want to uh, in, instill the notion of elegance as opposed to complexity. Mm-hmm. And elegance requires a high degree of sophistication uh, to be made real. I like that. I like the introduction of the word elegance. Thank you, Rob. Guess what? You've all earned a break. We're going to take it right now for about 90 seconds. I'm speaking today with Andrews Reinhardt at VLUX, Nancy Jones at San Diego State University, Rob Kugel at Ventana Research, and Henner Schliebs at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're heading up to the crystal ball round. We're going to get some predictions from my panel on 
how finance organizations will move and shift to become of service to the organization, trusted advisors, the role of big data, and will they be able to visualize and cut through the complexity to find an elegant simplicity that's results-oriented? God, I hope I did that right. <laughs> we'll be right back after the break. Don't even think of touching your mouse, your app, your dial. Brad out. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now. According to IDC, by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Here we are, and it's time for the crystal ball predictions round. Well, how coincidental. Our topic today is predictive analytics and finance. So let's do some predictions about predictions. I sense that this is could be a tautology, or we're looking in the mirror, in the mirror, in the mirror. Let's start off our predictions round with Anders Reinhardt at Velux. Anders, can you look ahead to the year 2020 and tell me what you see, or you can go farther or short term? What's your pleasure? Talk to me. No, I can give it a shot. I believe okay. we will see a trend where we won't talk as much about reporting and business intelligence, but much more about analytics as a term. I think technology will be in place to support us, which is emerging today and already in place in some companies. I think it will be widespread by that time. We will have less focus on the technology. I think instead skills and really analytical capabilities will be much more in focus. I also think we will see, especially within finance, much more outsourcing of day-to-day finance activities and more coming back to the focus of being a partner for the business. This is, in fact, something we implemented at Velox and freeing up time for our finance people to work with the business rather than doing incoming and outgoing payments and stuff like that is going to be really, really important to make that shift and and to focus much more. And then I think we'll also see another trend, which could be a little bit disturbing perhaps, is is that everybody is craving data. And and we will see a pressure on departmental reporting popping up and also departmental reporting systems, which I think to some extent can lead to some confusion and also a lot of money spent 
in various parts of the business. And this is going to be interesting how we tackle it because it's a fine line of providing business with analytics and, and maybe also controlling the cost that you actually spend on providing this and the reusability across the organization. Because of the ease of use of the tools, we're going to see a lot of pressure on this. And it's going to be interesting to see whether this will bring us forward or maybe actually stop mm. us from going anywhere. Interesting. Quick question for you, Anders. You mentioned outsourcing. Uh, will this spawn a new cadre or a new set of companies that do this outsourcing for the big companies, or do these firms already exist to whom you will be able to outsource? I think they, I think they exist. I think what we will see, which is new and exists to a limited scale, is the ability to buy analytics as a service. This is something we see with very large ventures such as Accenture and so on. But I think this will be a very big industry because the resources are scarce, the, the knowledge is scarce. And if we all try to bid for the same uh, 200 people coming out of a university, it's going to be an expensive uh, hiring uh, for sure. So I think that is an area where we might see a whole new area of business uh, popping up. Thank you very much, Nancy Jones, San Diego State University. What is your prediction? What are your predictions from the vantage point of, I'll say it, the ivory tower, the educational segment of our panel? Well, what what do you see from where you are, Nancy? Well, I, I sure hope that we can actually provide more than 200 students from the university for a dinner. <laughs> um, and, and, that would, and that would be my hope is that in, at the universities that we are actually able to meet the skill requirements. And, and part of that is going to be that the faculty are going to have to go outside of their comfort zones. And so we're going to have to learn the skills that are necessary to teach the students, the millennials, if you will, um, mm-hmm. uh, the skills that they're going to need in order to be business partners and to provide value as well. We do have accrediting bodies that are pushing towards the idea that that accounting students in particular need to understand technology and how technology can be used to create the proper analyses and predictions and how these tools can be used. So my hope is that in 2020, we will be talking about how well we are providing the skill sets that the students actually need to be trusted business partners. Thank you very much, Nancy. And let's move on to Rob Kugel. Thoughts on predictions, Rob? Well, let me echo something that Anders started off talking about, which is we won't be talking about technology in the, in, in the wide scope of things. We're going to be talking about results and, and new kinds of results. Uh, but uh, I, I remain uh, somewhat cautious about how much progress we can make uh, in, in the next six, seven years. Um, I'm, I'm optimistic only because, um, you know, the change in, in finance management is uh, taking place one gold watch at a time. We're retiring a generation of, of old fogies um, that may not be uh, all that uh, knowledgeable about uh, technology and, uh, and replacing them with, uh, with younger uh, folks who grew up uh, much more uh, in, in, in the, uh, the world of technology and, and, and being more open to you know, thinking about what what they should be expecting from technology. So I think I, I see that as a, as a driving force, but it is tempered by a whole lot of practical issues uh, that I think are going to you know, continue to dog uh, the adoption of, uh, of much more uh, sophisticated techniques of, of, of you know, changing the culture of the finance organization in, or, mm-hmm. in, in companies. That's going to continue to be an issue. 
Thank you very much, Rob. And Hannah, I'll give you 90 seconds, so Absolutely. almost two minutes. You can actually yeah. have a full two minutes. Go. Start now. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the fact uh, that Rob mentioned uh, we won't be talking about technology. We'll be talking about the results, right? Finance organizations will be really ready and able to uh, tell the story behind the numbers. This is actually their, their job, right? They they need to um, leverage the real-time finance platforms that will be in place, connecting the supplier side of your organization, but also the customer side of your organization, and um, have a simple technology solution in hand through automation, for example, that enables everyone making the right decisions, right? I'm talking about embedding all the predictive capabilities within day-to-day processes without the people even knowing about it, right? They just get provided with this kind of information can make better decisions then. So, um, yeah, in the future, we don't have to really worry about everyone being an advanced analyst, but uh, we need more people embedding those analytics processes within the day-to-day processes uh, of a given finance organization. Thank you very much. You made it. You gave me a minute and a half to finish up. This is a luxury. My goodness. I have a quick question for Nancy. Nancy, a a 10-second answer, please. What is it going to take to light a fire under the millennials and even people who go back to school looking for a new profession to say finance is exciting, it is sexy, it is elegant, we need fresh blood, we need people to get it? Is that happening now or or is it going to be a a labor of love to get them interested? Quick thought? absolutely going to be a labor of love and what we have to do is we have to get um there was a mention of old fogies we need to either get old (laughs) fogies excited who are teachers or we need to get young excited teachers involved in lighting that fire thank you very much okay i just had to ask and we did hear the old fogies remark i think it was rob kugel okay you made your point tomorrow coffee break with game changers wednesday 8 a.m i'll be here with an interesting show we're going to meet two of the m prize winners the sap m prize winners and the topic is unleashing unlimited human potential how about changing the model in your company or you actually ask people to share their imagination and their creativity and you cherish it and you unleash it and you benefit from it what a thought tune in tomorrow right here on the business channel next tuesday we'll be back with financial excellence with game changers and heads up in the fall we'll have seven live shows that's five a week don't ask me how i do the math but it makes sense to me hr trends returns season three future of business returns a new show called big data with game changers a new show called the customer edge with game changers and a new show called innovating innovation with game changers I'm trying to keep my head on straight. We're going to have a great time. Thank you so much, Anders Reinhardt at the VLUX Group, Nancy Jones, San Diego State University, Rob Kugel. Welcome back, and thanks again for Ventana Research and Hannah Schliebs at SAP Analytics. And thank you to Chris Grundy, Aaron Hughes, Birgit Starman's Hannah again. Mike Montalban, he, I think he did 65 quotes in the past 52 minutes. I've never seen anything like it. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. See you right here tomorrow on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.